Good morning. This is good. This is, I have to go back. That's right. I remember from the end of June, Dennis told me that, but I didn't get a refresher. So um, I'm going to be tempted to wander out there. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Because you're, you're, you're in view, but you're still too far from my liking. But we know we have to distance right now. So my name is Alex, and I serve as lead pastor here at Courtright, and it's my pleasure to welcome you, uh, whether you've long been part of Courtright or maybe this is your first time here. We're, we're delighted you could join us, and we're really happy to be here in person, uh, and that it didn't rain. So that is really fantastic as well, because we thought there might be rain this morning. So um, Now, normally on this Sunday, the Sunday after the Labor Day long weekend, we would have a big meal. We would have a barbecue, we would have burgers and hot dogs and salads, and we love to eat together, but circumstances are such that we continue to not be able to do that. Uh, So instead of eating together, we're going to consider this morning a story about Jesus and his disciples where they have a big meal. So it's a poor substitute maybe for a barbecue, but uh, we're going to... uh, consider that uh, this morning. And we're also going to, next, starting next Sunday, we're heading into a sermon series in the book of Daniel, and we're going to consider what does a healthy diet look like for a Christian these days? What, what are we called to be? How are we called to be different from the world around us? And how are we called to, to fit right in, to engage, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city? So we're going to spend a couple of months, actually, in the book of Daniel. And especially if you're a university student, high school student, young adult, I think this is particularly relevant for you because Daniel and his friends in the city of Babylon are asking all these questions as young adults, as students. But it's relevant for all of us as well. This morning, though, we're with Jesus in the gospel according to Luke. Before we open our Bibles, uh, let me pray. Holy Spirit, We thank you that you are a God of revelation and you show us what's true, what's good, what's right. You astound us with your beauty and you draw us into relationship with Jesus. And so I pray this morning that through your word, through the words we'll read from scripture and the word you will give to each one of us uniquely, that you would accomplish your purposes, reconciling us to one another and ultimately to you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I found this last time we did an outdoor service that as I say things, I'm thinking anyone could be listening. (laughs) And, you know, how does this sound to people? I mean, there's a, there's a, important part of being outdoors where it's, it's really open, obviously, and there's a mission quality to that, which I think is really significant. And having people voting in our building this morning uh, lends an added layer to that. So as we read from Luke chapter 9, let's consider that Jesus was with the disciples and then there was a crowd as well. So if you've got a Bible with you, Open it up to Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 10 to 17. We don't have a screen, uh, obviously, out here, but uh, you can just listen if you don't have uh, actual Bible with you. 
When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a, to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. Jesus replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless you expect us to go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Dennis, do you mind grabbing my water for me? Or someone, Rick? It's right there on the table. I forgot to bring it over. Thanks. So this story, thank you, Roman. This story is an account of events that took place roughly 2,000 years ago with Jesus, his disciples, and a crowd. It's also a story that assumes something about human nature. It assumes that we are not satisfied. It assumes that we are hungry. How about you? Would you say you're hungry this morning? Some of you had a big breakfast, I'm guessing. Others of you maybe skipped breakfast entirely. So if you could have had anything to eat for breakfast this morning, what would you have had? I'm going to turn. We'll see if it works. I'm going to come out a little bit. Because it's not just a rhetorical question. Oh, that's the limit of it. I'm being pulled back. What would you have had for breakfast? Pancakes, okay. Bacon. Any granola yogurt people? Yeah. Anything else for breakfast? Your dream breakfast this morning? Baklava. Oh my gosh. That's bold. Chocolate cake. Now we're getting crazy, clearly. Anything else? Dream breakfast this morning. Just coffee. Yeah, I think I'm with you, actually. Cold pizza. So there's a real range of breakfast experiences and hopes and dreams around breakfast among us. But one thing is consistent, and that is that we get up and we're hungry. We may not eat, but we're hungry. And that physical hunger reflects a deeper hunger. Just over a week ago, we moved my son Callum to Hamilton, where he's starting his first year at McMaster. And I was talking to Callum a couple of days ago about lots of things, how his first week went, and also about whether he's been eating well, because these are the things you worry about as a parent, 
And he told me every day for breakfast, he's had three fried eggs and three hash browns. So he's clearly changing into some kind of a health nut. When the day we moved him to Hamilton, we, my brother was here visiting from Ireland and we took him to Food Basics to shop for groceries. And it was, it was a really interesting experience because you're, you're dropping off your son and there's an empty fridge in his basement apartment and you got to fill it. So what do you buy? So we ran around, you know, buying the basics. And, but what was even more fascinating was that Callum clearly seemed suddenly to realize, oh my goodness, I have to do this for myself now. <laughs> what do I need to get? What do you buy in a grocery store? There's all this choice, right? You could get so many different things. In this story in the Gospel of Luke, we see that God wants to satisfy our hunger. Through Jesus, he invites all of us to get involved in the way he's meeting the needs of the whole world, in the way he's feeding people. He interrupts the plans that we may have, and he sets new priorities for us. He takes the low expectations we have of what's possible, and he opens our eyes to a new vision of what could happen, of what has happened, and of what is happening all around us. So the feeding of the 5,000, uh, if you've read the Bible much at all, is a pretty famous story in the New Testament. But did you know that this is the only miracle that appears in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It's in all four of them. And that's not an accident. The repetition tells us that this story matters. And Luke gives it a certain spin. He's making um, his version have an emphasis, and, and that is the role of the 12 disciples. So this is the first miracle Jesus has not done on his own. God could do the job of feeding the world without our help. He could do it more efficiently. He could do it quicker. But here we see that Jesus involves people because he knows we need to learn. After all, that's what the word disciple means. It's kind of this funny religious word, but it simply means someone who's learning. Now let's step back for a second and remember where we are in Luke's gospel here. The disciples at the beginning of this chapter were sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to meet the needs of the people. And now they're returning from their various adventures. You can imagine each one of them has a story to tell. They're excited. Jesus sent them out and they saw amazing things happen and, and they want to spend time with him. After all, they've earned it, right? They, they did the job he gave them to do. They know they've done good work, but they're still learning as disciples do. And so Jesus uses this moment to take them deeper in their discipleship, to channel their enthusiasm. He gives them an impossible challenge, which is also a very everyday reality. Hunger. And he points them to this massive crowd that is gathered, 5,000 men. That was the way they counted in those days. Each of those men represented a household, a family. He points them to that huge crowd and he says, you give them something to eat. How would you respond to that? Justin, how would you respond to this morning if I had arrived and said, hey, let's do the barbecue after all. I think... 
I think, I think we should just feed everybody. Yeah, you would have yelled at me. <laughs> it's pretty obvious the disciples are not impressed. They tell Jesus, we've only got enough for ourselves, maybe not even that much. Surely you are not suggesting we should go out and buy food for all these people. We just can't afford that. They must also have been thinking to themselves, and I'm speculating here, obviously, that, look, Jesus, our plan was perfectly reasonable. We've done a lot for these people, and now they should go away. They can take care of themselves. They're adults. We need some time to ourselves. I think I even detect a bit of an edge in their reply. Now, we know how the story goes, but it could have gone differently. There's the potential for real conflict here. The disciples could have continued to argue with Jesus. They could have insisted that they were right. But true discipleship listens. If we want to grow in Christ, we have to accept his authority and we have to trust him. That in every circumstance of our lives, even the really hard ones, he is with us and he knows what's best for us. Would you say this morning that you have that kind of teachable spirit? Are you open to what Jesus is asking of you, even if you don't like it? When you bow your will to the Lord's will, there will always be a breakthrough in your life. There will always be an abundance that comes in on the heels of that. Maybe not the way you imagined it. Usually, actually not the way you imagined it. But it comes. Let's pull back for a second. Imagine with me that there's a drone flying above this park. And we're going to take that view of what happens here in Luke 9. Imagine looking down on Jesus, the disciples, and this big crowd. Where right now would you say you are in this story? Are you right up in the company of the friends of Jesus? We call them the disciples. Or are you maybe out in the crowd? Maybe at its outer fringes even. It's pretty clear that the disciples want Jesus to themselves. They don't want to share him. The 12 were close to Jesus, and that's the best possible place to be. But when they return from the mission he sent them out on, they take his call to them in the wrong direction. They turn away from other people and want to keep Jesus to themselves. But Jesus simply, directly turns them back to the crowd. He says, you give them something to eat. In this story in Luke, the disciples learn that the priority of Jesus is always to meet the needs of the crowd. Now, there are times when we need to get away. There are times when Christians should retreat. But I think there's a new standard set here when Jesus says, you give them something to eat. We are preoccupied people, especially this time of year. Many of us are busier than we have been in a while. We are people who think of our own interests first. Jesus, in spite of all that, works through us if we let him. And then he surpasses us with the abundance of what he provides. You might have noticed a little detail at the end of this story that there were these 12 baskets full of bread and fish left over. 
Well, I want us to, to think about what that means this morning. And we're going to do an exercise later in the service. Um, so if you look to your left, you see a garden. And this is new to our church this summer to have such a huge garden. We've been doing it for three years. And, and I want us, want us to think about the garden as being like these 12 baskets of leftover food. What are we going to do with the garden? What are we going to do with what is in these 12 baskets? What will you personally do with what is left over from the abundance of what God has given you? In the presence of Christ, there is plenty of what we need. It's not the false promise of our consumer society where we walk into a grocery store and there's so many choices, so many brands, way more than we need. The false promise of consumerism where we eat and eat, get and get, and yet are never satisfied. Now, Christ supplies the true and deeper abundance that we really crave. Food for our bodies, for sure. Food for our souls, even more importantly. And food for others, others who we haven't met yet, others who don't even know what to do, where to go with their hunger. Will we give them something to eat, I think is what Jesus is asking us. We read here, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. You know, whenever I read that, I can't help but think of another meal. Some of us know how this story ends. We know that Jesus, at this point, was about to set out on the lonely road to Jerusalem, where once again he would break bread with his disciples, except on that occasion, on that dark night, he would say something quite different. He would say, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I will say that later in the service as we celebrate communion. Jesus, above all, offers himself as the bread of life. He offered himself at the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and he offers himself always, each new day, every morning, as the one who can truly satisfy us. And then if we follow the narrative, the early church, after Easter, the disciples of Jesus continued to eat together. And we read in Acts about how Christians knew how to have a good time. The church at Pentecost ate well. They broke bread in each other's homes. They shared their food. They shared all their possessions with those who were in, who were in need. They were joyful and generous, and they won over the city of Jerusalem. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. And through Christ, we have also received the bread of life. And so we return to the breaking of bread with a new commitment to feeding the crowd. And I'm always amazed at the creativity of people in our congregation, the new ways. I mean, the garden is, is one of the most obvious examples, but I hear so many stories about how we are envisioning God's call, re-envisioning God's call to feed people. We have more formal ways of doing it. We call them ministry programs, and we have a ministry fair today, here today. You can, you can hear about some of what we're doing in spite of the restrictions of the pandemic. Some of you have made food for events here at the church or elsewhere, for a youth group event, for a small group, for the joy lunches. That's our, our seniors' lunch 
used to be once a month. Oh, I miss that lunch. Can we just stop and think back on that lunch? Church potlucks. They're a sign of the goodness of God. Or maybe you brought food in for a food drive on a Sunday morning. Or maybe you realize as you give financially to the church that your money supports our missions budget. You're supporting work around the world, justice work, church planting that feeds people. Most of all, though, I hear about the informal ways that you are supporting each other. There's a magical world in church land. Um, It's a, a word that I think is a little bit out of favor. And it's the word casserole. Are you familiar with this concept? The casserole? It takes a bit of time to make a casserole. I guess you can buy them pre-made, but uh, the best ones are constructed with loving care. When people are in a season of need within our church and beyond it, the casseroles start to show up. And if you're not someone who's a natural casserole maker, uh, there's, there's always Costco. I go in and I buy three things. Rotisserie chicken, a big Caesar salad, and way too much dessert. And you're set. Drop that off at someone's doorstep and see what happens. You will have encouraged them like few other ways you could. We have... We have someone at Courtright who has been one of our leaders in providing casseroles for people. She's coordinated meals for people in need, and she also runs our Saturday night dinners at Royal City Mission downtown, which happened last night. My daughter Lily went for the first time last night and really enjoyed it. Um, And she's entering a season of fighting cancer, and we have a gap. And we're inviting you, I'm inviting you right now, could you contribute to being part of coordinating that effort in the future? Would you be prepared to make a meal? And if you are, you can drop me an email or talk to Justin or Allison when she's back. All of this, our response to what Jesus asks of us starts with God's faithfulness. He will provide even when you're tired and struggling and skeptical. Is there a place in your life right now where you need to trust God more with these five loaves and two fish that are referred to in Luke 9? What are you hungry for? What are you missing? Where is the emptiness for you right now? Maybe you're really struggling in a relationship with someone in your family, with a child, grandchild, with your parent or parents. Maybe It's a friendship in your marriage. Whatever it is, God says that he will provide what you need through those struggles. Maybe your emptiness right now is in your work. You're you're either looking for work or you find your job to be really hard, not inspiring at all. Maybe it's in your studies as you return to school or start something new. I believe that God wants to fill you up today, to fill all of us up this fall. And it starts with us asking him to meet those needs. Jesus feeds us first 
and then uses us to feed others. He calls us to follow him, and then he sends us back out into the crowd, where we find ourselves among people who are just like us, people who are hungry for what Jesus alone can provide. They all ate and were satisfied. Thanks be to God who through Christ provides for all we need, satisfies us like no other. Amen.